Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. Distance demonizes us. And so when I see you from afar, you are just a, you're a stereotype, you're, you're an enemy, you're this, you're that. But when I get up close to you and I start to, I see your face and I, and I hear you tell me stories about your kids. Well, now you're a human being and you're made in the image of God. That was the voice of Pastor Greg Holder, and this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Hi, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Gabe, one of the key aspects of Q is to stay curious. And to do that, listening. Relating is key. So today, we're going to enjoy a conversation, Gabe, you had recently with your friend Greg Holder. Before we get to that conversation, tell us a bit more about Greg. He's the author of a new book called Never Settle. He's also authored the book Genius of One, created the Advent Conspiracy with a couple of other good friends of ours, and uh, leads a church in St. Louis. And what we're talking about today is a little bit of the history of our relationship going way back 15 years ago, prior to Q, and some of the conversations we were having even back then. But all the way through to today, what does it look like for us during this COVID season to be the kind of people who are continually pushing and challenging ourselves to grow, to not just grow comfortable, to not just settle in to a life that we think we can lead, but to truly ask God to give us the hope and the vision for a life that really matters. And so I'm excited for you to hear this now. Let's listen in on this conversation with Greg Holder. Greg, it's so great to have you on the Q Podcast. (laughs) It is good to be with you, Gabe. I mean, the beauty of our friendship dates way back. And so uh, when you and I were going to do this conversation today, I I was just reminiscing about before Q ever started, you and I were having conversations about the future of the church, where they were going to yeah. go. There's a small group of us, and you were one of those on the leading edge that was kind of imagining a future, and you were part of that first Q event. Well, you did that two, 2007 in Atlanta, yeah. and there's a there's yeah. like 400 people. I mean, it was a small room. And what was your take on the Q back then? When you first experienced that as a pastor, what, what was the itch it was meeting for you as a leader? Well... I will just say it straight up because you and I had a relationship. There was no way I wasn't going to be there. But what was really cool for me was that I brought a team. And so I picked people that I thought were uh, on our team here at church that would benefit from some really thought-stretching moments. Didn't really give them a whole lot. Just said, this is a friend of mine. You can trust him. This is going to make us think. And I will tell you, Gabe, this is a cool thing. The two things that I remember the most are the two things that still happen. One of them is there are moments that you can't predict where God is going to say, hey, did you catch that? That one was for you. There was a thought. Kevin Kelly says something, and you're like, what? <laughs> uh, that's what I remember in the, the Atlanta one. Uh, so there's that. There was just that idea of Christians should be thinking about these things. We should be thoughtful and mindful of these things. But the second thing is that incredible opportunity for relationship. 
I just remember even in between and after those sessions, just intersecting with other people in the kingdom, meeting new people, some of whom I'm still in relationship with. And what I love is both of those things still play out. Doesn't matter how big Q gets. Yeah. Those things still happen. You, your mind gets stretched, your heart gets encouraged, and you get to bump into other people who can remind you that you're not crazy, that you're you're not the only one who's dreaming and wondering and asking these questions. And it's hmm. it's been fun the whole way. Yeah. Well, we've loved how much you've contributed. You've been one of those voices that's helped so many of us think better about a lot of different issues. I know with being located in St. Louis, you were one of the first pastors to be in a situation in recent times where the race conversations become such a big conversation. You're one of the first pastors, you know, there near Ferguson where you were helping try to in the moment really lead and guide and bring a lot of voices together. And I know you'd never take credit like you were you were leading it, but but you were there collaborating with a community of other leaders. Y'all were trying to navigate like how do we advance good in this? Right. Um and now we see so many other communities having to navigate that sort of thing. But what was the, what would you say was one of the biggest lessons you learned as you look back now that a lot of other leaders maybe are just learning that you would say, hey, that was really critical that we responded in this certain type of way? The first thing is you, you don't do this to make a headline. You don't do this to tell other people about it. One of the things that was going on in the fellowship hall of First Baptist Ferguson during those really volatile and I would say iconic moments was if you were going to be a part of the meetings that were happening there. And that that included law enforcement and educators and mayors and uh, civic leaders and protesters. Protesters would come in. We had the lead, uh, some of the leaders of of the protest come in and we would sit around and, and really the only rule was let's keep this private in here. So it it became a safe place where people could really begin to have conversations that they didn't have to worry about somebody posting someplace on social media or in those days walking right outside and standing in front of a CNN camera. And uh, we, we wanted to create a safe place. And I will tell you the other thing for me was that immediately I reached out to a friend of mine, Pastor David Anderson, who's um, a pastor in the Baltimore area. And David is a leader in uh, racial reconciliation. Uh, He is an African-American pastor who I look to and have looked to long before this. And I remember when it was going on, I was like, okay, David, this is what I see. What am I not seeing? What, What do I need to be thinking about? And then I invited him in. And so we co-led some of those things. And so I I think that's a part of it is don't do it alone. Do it privately. There's a line in my book that's coming out that listen hard when it's hard to listen. And I know that sounds so preacher-esque, you know, what a cute little phrase. But it really is. There's so much that begins to happen when I stop interrupting you. And I, and I just keep listening and I keep asking these curious and humble questions. I may not agree with you, but I keep listening and I keep listening. And when Proverbs says, if you see someone who speaks in haste, there is more hope for a fool than for them. <laughs> we need to tattoo that on our brains. Yeah. Taking the extra beat in these volatile conversations, it helps. Now, there is a time when you have to speak, but you've got a much better chance of entering into something, if you're listening, it, I, I, I can't tell you, Gabe, how often I do this, and I, and I regret it. How often I, I see others do this. 
we fill the awkward spaces with even more awkward words, or sometimes we interrupt just to provide relief from what we're hearing. It's not so much that we even really want anything other than, will you please stop talking? Mm. And I'm telling you, sometimes we got to just listen. Of course, we have to speak. And I would say this, you need to collaborate on something. One of the things that we found that, that we're doing is trying to take the long view of all of this and play the long game. One of the phrases that you'll hear us say is that, is that we're doing this for our kids' kids. It's, it's not even us. It may not even be for our kids, but maybe grandkids and down the line. Can we collaborate with each other, pick something in the community that we'll work on side by side with others mm-hmm. in the community on? Yeah. And now there's a distance that has been, it's been closed. One of David's sayings that I tell people all the time is distance demonizes us. Hmm. And so when I see you from afar, you are just a, you're a stereotype, you're, you're an enemy, you're a this, you're a that. But when I get up close to you and I start to, I see your face and I, and I hear you tell me stories about your kids or about your, your day. Well, now you're a human being and you're made in the image of God. And now we got a chance. Right. And distance demonizing us. What a great statement. And I think in the season we're in, with more division, with more distance, literal physical distance, inability to get together necessarily and talk things out, just looking at our screens or putting forward, broadcasting our opinions, it doesn't really help. And I think what where you've led on this and helped so many of us see it as well is the importance of the strength of relationships in your city. So for any pastor listening to this or a leader in your city or a community organizer or business leader, entrepreneur, The key is build the relationships before things are out of control, because if you've got a form of relationship there and a web of friendship and you do know each other and you know each other's kids, it's going to allow things instead of escalating to de-escalate. And we need more of that kind of leadership in our cities. Yeah. And I would say, Gabe, if, if someone and this, we've all been there. Sometimes it's too late and you're like, oh, wow, here it is. It's, it's something that's going on in, in my community, in my school district, in my church. It's still not too late to be intentional about this and to reach out to someone humbly and say, can I just start to learn from you? Can we start to do life together? That's why you got to play the long game. If you're looking for a quick solution to any of this, you won't find it. If there was a quick solution, we would have already figured this out. For us, anyway, it's a long-term strategy. And it's not about the optics of, hey, is anybody noticing this? Because the truth is, Gabe, I've made more mistakes than I've made right moves. I'm so grateful for God's grace and for my friend's patience. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, me too. (laughs) Because I've just made so many mistakes. I I am not the expert on this. I can just show you the roadmap of all the potholes that I've Mm -hmm. I've stepped in. And that brings me to, I mean, COVID-19 and a year where Mm -hmm. so many people have been really having to re-examine their life, re-examine what's important, what relationships are important. I know some old relationships have fired up for people, old friends. And then there's also been a lot of loneliness and a lot of people questioning life. Why am I here? What am I doing? Why have I been doing this? I'm burned out. I've, I finally realized that now because I've had to stop long enough or I realize how much my kids actually needed me to be home yeah. because I haven't been able to travel, right? Yeah. There's all kinds of things happening in the midst of that the timing has just been so unique with your new project. You wrote a book called Never Settle. 
And I'd love for you to, to talk about that concept of not settling. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Because I know we hear that phrase a lot, like, like these days, like, right. hey, don't settle. Right. But what, what does that mean to you as a Christian leader? You're, what are you trying to say to people in this message? And why is it so specific to really the season we're all in right now? Well, I will tell you that the, the jumping off point for the book is the, the words of Jesus in Revelation 3 to the church at Laodicea. The subtitle of the book is Choices, Chain Reactions, and the Way Out of Lukewarminess, which is a word I made up. But the, it goes back to Revelation 3, where Jesus is saying, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm, and I'm about to spit you out. The title of that chapter in the book is What Makes Jesus Puke? Uh, because that's really what the word is in the Greek, uh, imeo. And, and when you understand the history behind this, both hot and cold are good. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, Gabe, when I was growing up in the church, sometimes that's not the way it was explained to me. I remember hearing, well, you know what, either before him or against him, but just get off the fence. And, and that never made sense to me. And that's that's not what this means. If you look at the, the geography of it all, there's a city to the north of, of Laodicea that is known for its hot springs, like hot uh, springs. That It was a spa town. Heropolis was a spa town. Mm. And then you've t to the east, you have Colossae at the, at the base of this mountain, and it's got this cool, uh, thirst-quenchingly cold water. So what really is going on here is, you know, be hot or be cold. Be, be soothingly hot. Be thirst-quenchingly cold. But don't be lukewarm. That's what settling is. Mm. When, when we settle... We're setting up shop in a in a, a, what I say in the book, a, uh, a land of less than. We're putting down roots. We're settling in the in the true sense of the word. We're we're living in a place that is so much less than than we could be living in. It's less than helpful. It's less than interesting. It's certainly less than hopeful. And why do we do that? I mean, what what is it? A, is this a human nature thing that we kind of settle into these comforts and a way of life that just doesn't rock the boat? I mean, what is it about us that we tend to go that direction versus being hot or cold? Well, I think that is a part of it is that, you know, life is hard and this happens. And so, again, I, you know, I, I wrote this book for for anybody who, like me, is tempted to settle for less than what God has for them. So for me. What I began to notice was in this world, which is, you know, can we just say this again? When Paul writes in Romans 8 that the world is, is tossing and turning beneath our feet, that it is groaning in pain, I don't think anybody's going to argue with that these days. It's discouraging. It's intimidating. And, and honestly, this was before social distancing and pandemics and things we never expected. So we have this I would say this choice where sometimes we play it safe because we think it's so ugly out there. I mean, that's the thinking, you know, I, and I hear people say this, you know, I'm just going to hang out with people with whom I agree until Jesus returns. Well, I'm all about community. But when we retreat and raise the drawbridge and, and relish our own comfort and just live in these little fortresses, our hearts grow thicker and thicker. And, and I think in our isolation, we run the risk of caring less and less about anyone who isn't like us. So we play it safe sometimes. Or I think the other thing is, because sometimes that's not a practical option. Sometimes we, we know that we have to get out there in the world because, because we have to work, because, because there's only so many things that Amazon can deliver to our homes. We, we have to get out there. So the second strategy sometimes is we blend in. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get out there in the world, but it's, it, the volume is so loud that I, you know, if I take a stand against 
injustice, if I make peace in a difficult situation, if I, if I boldly begin to try to speak to someone about how faith and science can actually fit together, I'm going to draw attention to myself in ways that, that, that might feel unsafe. I might draw fire from people who disagree with me. So we settle for blending in to the conversation, to the community, to wherever, and we're settling. We're settling for so much less. We, we're, we're walking through life. I think I said it at some point. We're, we're a mere ghost of ourselves. We're, we're not really fully engaged with this world that God hasn't given up on. So that's really the premise of the book is, are there practical ways that we can begin to look at this world differently and our calling differently? And, and hopefully along the way, there are some mile markers, some ideas that people can go, okay, well, if I do that, then it's a step out of lukewarmness. So I don't know if that answered your question. Listen, you invented your own word here, lukewarmness. Yeah, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? It's interesting. I mean, it's not, it's it's lukewarm. I mean, how else would you say that? I mean, lukewarmness? I mean, warminess is better than lukewarmness. I, I thought it fit, and I won that one. When I suggested to the publisher that the name of the book be What Makes Jesus Puke, I lost that battle. <laughs> but they did let me keep my made-up word in. So. Oh, that's funny. That's good. <laughs> well, one of the interesting chapters was your discussion around being resilient and anti-fragile, right? And, yeah. and I yeah. know you've traveled this world. You understand how fragile life is, the context that we're in, the communities that we're in. But it does feel like things are more fragile than ever, and people are really more uncertain than they've been in a long time about the future, about their prospects for whatever success may look like for them. A lot of the hope's been dashed, a lot of faith's been lost in institutions. So talk a little bit about that idea as it relates to the moment we're in, and how do we live in that way? Well, the the title of the chapter is a nod to Nassim Taleb's book, uh, Anti-Fragile. And, you know, the chapter title is Anti-Fragile, sort of. And I think he's got a fascinating idea there of of there is a kind of fragility that you're mentioning in the world. And there are there are those, whether it's a, a system, a school, a church, a, a, a person who is so committed to avoiding any kind of stress that you actually become more fragile, not less. But he says there's another thing called resilient. We're all familiar with that. That's when you bounce back to where you were. So something happened and and you bounce back. But then he talks about uh, what he calls being anti-fragile, which is you you now, you get, you, you progress beyond bouncing back to what you originally were. Now you're at a place where you're, you're better than you were before before the storm rolled in. And so when I started to read that, I was like, man, you are onto something. This is what Paul talks about. This is what James talks about when he says, count it all joy when these things roll in. When, when Paul is saying in Romans that there's a progression, you, you go, you know, you've got suffering and you've got endurance and character and it leads to hope. But my point was, I don't do this on my own. I can't do this without the spirit of God working in me. And frankly, I really shouldn't try to do this without connecting to how the Spirit of God is working in you. We're right back to that collaborative thing where we do this together. And I am finding that the most anti-fragile people and anti-fragile systems, if we could borrow his word, are those who are willing to admit what I just said. I can't do this on my own. I I can't do this on my own. Um, There's a, a funny story that I tell in the book about, and you do this all the time when you're, you're speaking somewhere. 
And so I had these morning sessions and I was speaking, but I was the keynote in the afternoon, pretty big conference. So I got to get back into the, you know, the back room, kind of prepare my thoughts. Well, the organization that sponsored this thing, the CEO is back there and wants to meet me. And so we're talking, you know, I'm still trying to go through my head. Okay. I want to nail this talk, but it's okay. I'm doing all of this. And then he says, fellas, I think, because there was another man in there with me and he said, fellas, I think we need to get on our face before God. And I was like, yeah, let's pray. No, he meant literally get on our faces before God. And so before this thing even started, we are on the floor, face down, praying. And Gabe, I kind of went back and forth with God going, well, this is, I don't know, is this the right time to do this, God? I'm trying to, and it's like God just so lovingly walked me through and said, son, this is exactly what you need is to humble yourself before me. And I promise you, he he took me through it so quickly that as I listened to this, man, just a sweet, powerful prayer. It humbled me so much that by the end of the prayer, I didn't care what I looked like when I got up off the floor. I didn't care if I had a chance to go over my notes. Mm -hmm. I was so full of gratitude. Well, listen, anti-fragile people are people who are willing to admit that they have these struggles, that they have these, these problems before them, but they don't stop there. It's not just the challenge that's before me. It's the, it, it, it's the one who will now walk with me through that challenge. Right. And it, it, there's a message of hope here. Always. That's so important. You talk a lot about this throughout the book, the idea of hope. And that is, isn't that just the difference maker? I mean, when you're walking through difficult times, and I don't know how people do it truly that don't have a faith, because if you're just putting hope in yourself every day, that's a recipe for disaster and disappointment. But when you can put your faith that God's up to something right now, he's cultivating, he's doing something. It might be hard. COVID-19 might be hard. Some of the things we're dealing with as a society might be more difficult. But there's a sense that there's something going on, right? That God's, God's at work here in our own life. He's sharpening us, pruning us, whatever it might be, sharpening the church. But that hope is so important. And that, that's like this outlook that is, is, do you believe like you can choose hope? Do you believe that's cultivated over time? Like, what do you say to the person right now who's just not feeling hopeful? How do they get that feeling? (laughs) Well, I don't think you conjure it up. I do think you intentionally put yourself into a place where you're willing to admit these things. Now, I'll be honest with you, uh, anxiety, we're, we're, we're real close to talking about how anxious this age is. And, um, uh, it, it was my joy and privilege to point people towards Rebecca's book where, where she just really talks about rhythms. And I think that's a part of intentionality is you have to you have to build rhythms into your life where you are allowing yourself to sense and to pay attention and to notice the God who is walking with you through this. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a story. One of my favorite stories in in the Old Testament is the story of Elisha and his attendant. You know, they wake up that one day when uh, the king has has figured out Elisha is the reason for all of these defeats, and so the the attendant wakes up and and, and sees an entire army surrounding the city. And his reaction is anxiety and panic and hopelessness. You know, what, what, what shall we do? Because he only saw the threat. Elisha, same situation, realistic. He obviously saw this danger that had encircled them, but he knew that the battle had already been won. I don't think it's, I don't think it's denial. I think he was, well, he did say to his frightened friend, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so what does he do? He prays that his friend's eyes would be opened, that he would begin Mm. to see spiritually 
the champion that is with him. And that's the thing. He didn't deny the presence of his enemy. He simply saw that those troops were outnumbered. And Gabe, I, I really do believe that is a part of what we can cultivate. That's a prayer we must pray for ourselves all the time. Yeah. God, please open my eyes. I want to see all of this, not just part of it. And man, is it easy to just be overwhelmed with what we do see on our news feeds, what we do see, what we do hear from someone, and it becomes really easy mm-hmm. to, to feel overwhelmed. And there we are. We're back to settling. We're back to, okay, I'm just going to retreat from this. And that's that's not what God's called us to. Yeah, that's right. And you mentioned that we need other people in our life helping guide us towards that is such an important facet in experiencing hope. On our own, we can become very self-preserving, very cautious. But when we have a community around us of friends, of a spouse, of People who we know really have our best interest in mind, it does bring hope. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And Gabe, what a great conversation with Greg Holder, the author of the new book, Never Settle. And you can learn more about Greg, his work, and get his book through the website, gregholder.com. Gabe, you could have gone on so much longer with your friend Greg. He's involved in so much in St. Louis and beyond. It's just helping so many people lead through difficult conversations there in St. Louis. Um, So we're grateful for him. I also want to remind you, if you're not a part of Q Media, there's so many new things happening on Q Media. We don't want you to miss out on it. And so there's the opportunity for you to see our latest session that we did called Church and State. It was at qideas.org slash state. You can go see more about that. But I had the chance just this last week to sit down with 10 different leaders and have the conversation about how are they engaging this challenge between biblical conviction and government restrictions, and what does it mean to navigate that faithfully? And I'll tell you, there was a lot of different opinions. There was not full-on agreement. It was pretty equal, 50-50, but those who believe our churches should be open, we should be moving forward in every way that we can, and then those who would say, no, that's actually a big mistake for the church. And so as we try to do through Q, we just want to bring you thoughtfulness. We want to bring you behind the scenes. What are people thinking when they're sitting around their boardroom, when they're thinking through this with their elders? And on this specific issue, it's it's more related to church pastors and elders, but it's also the type of thing, if you're a part of a church and you're struggling with your church's decision and you're trying to better understand how church leaders are thinking through this, hear from people like Andy Stanley and Francis Chan and Sam Rodriguez, Ephraim Smith, Kristen Wagner, John MacArthur. We're going to talk to all of these different leaders, and you can watch all that through your Q Media subscription. You can get a Q Media subscription for as low as seven ninety nine a month, and learn more about this event as well as Q Media at qideas.org/state. Come be a part of this community where we're constantly learning together and trying to put before you the most relevant conversations and learnings you need to know to faithfully navigate our cultural moment. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. 
To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.